Okay, um, why don't we go ahead and stand if we're able for our scripture reading as a springboard into our message tonight. Uh, we're going to start with Isaiah 6 that John already read. It says, um, Isaiah 9, 6, excuse me. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Next verse is out of Luke, chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But an angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. A final verse as a springboard into this is John 14, verse 27. And it says, uh, Jesus speaking here to his disciples says, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Um, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the reading of God's word. You guys can be seated. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here tonight, um, and I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to share the word of God with you guys tonight. For most of you, this is the most you've heard me talk. Um, according to my wife, she says people go up to her all the time. They're like, I don't know your husband at all. Um, so uh, my apologies for that. I, I'm an introvert. I've got my little click, and then I, I need to be braver about talking to some of you guys. So uh, you're going to hear me talk tonight, though. Um, so those three verses um, all uh, are from different points in the Scripture, and they all are associating with um, – You get, first off, time out. You guys hear me okay? Am I too loud? No? Good? Okay. Um, those three verses are all uh, associating – this concept of peace to Jesus. Um, the first verse is out of Isaiah. So Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah who is yet to come at this point. Obviously, Jesus is eternal, but the Messiah incarnate or, or um, Jesus being born as a man had not yet happened. And so he's um, uh, prophesying of this event. And one of these wonderful titles he gives um, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So we know that this coming of Messiah is going to be associated with peace. Uh, in fact, the Prince of Peace. The second verse um, is from the night Jesus was born. Uh, the angels of heaven themselves are declaring peace on earth to those in whom God finds favor. Um, so it's a proclamation, a declaration of peace over the earth um, that coincides with his birth. And then the last verse um, is Jesus himself speaking to his disciples about a peace he offers us that is different than the peace of the world. And we'll get into how those things are different. Um, in preparing for this, uh, I just started at the beginning and I asked myself, well, what is peace? All right, what is peace? And so, you know, we have the English word peace um, and the various definitions that we associate with that. Uh, in the New Testament, it would have been in Greek and the word is irene uh, or irene. Um, and in Hebrew is shalom. And I think those two words are, are pretty interchangeable when I was looking up the definitions and, and researching that. And they're similar to the English word peace 
in that they can mean an absence of war or conflict or violence. You know, two nations at war will have a peace treaty um, and it's an ending to the, to the fighting. They both can mean uh, tranquility, calmness, or serenity, uh, just like the English word peace. But where I think they differ a little bit, at least the biblical word peace, um, both in Greek and in, in uh, Hebrew, is uh, this idea of completeness or oneness or wholeness that shalom conveys, that irene conveys, that the English word kind of doesn't emphasize as much. Okay, so tonight, as I talk about peace, uh, I mean shalom, I mean irene, I mean this completeness, this wholeness, this oneness, and an absence of violence and calmness. It's kind of all those things, okay? Uh, the second thing uh, I was considering as I was preparing for this is why do we need peace? And it might seem obvious, but to really stop and think about that. What is not currently in shalom? What is currently not at peace? And the Lord led me to really four different kind of relationships that humans have um, that were created good in the garden, right? We know that God made all things good. They were created good. They broke down and the shalom or the peace was broken when sin entered the world. And then ultimately these four relationships are going to be restored um, through Jesus or, or when Jesus comes, they begin to be restored. And then one day in the new heavens and the new earth, they'll be fully restored. So these four relationships are the relationship between man and God, created and creator. Uh, the second is the relationship between man to man. And this can be individuals between two people. It could be groups of people. It could be nation against nation. But these interhuman relationships that we have, which are broken without Jesus. Um, the third relationship is between a person and themselves, right? So like your own, uh, are you at peace with yourself, right? We're trying to fill a hole that only God can fill when we look at the lost world around us, right? Um, and then the fourth relationship is the relationship between man and nature. And in this context, I mean nature to mean everything that's created that isn't another person, right? Because that's a unique relationship. So this is the relationship between humans and animals, plants, rocks, oceans, minerals, all that, right? The rest of creation um, that God gave us to steward over. So uh, we have those four relationships. We're gonna look at each kind of phase um, according to like our timeline, which is how all four of these were created good. They were all disrupted. The peace, the shalom was broken uh, due to sin. And then Jesus comes and the restoration is kicked off of all these four relationships. And then one day when he returns, it will be fully restored and good again as it was in the garden. Okay. And then if that wasn't enough, um, I, I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, I was, I was praying, Lord, like, what word do you have for me to share with uh, your people tonight? And um, I, I felt he led me to just share with you guys some practical tools for how do we rest in this peace that, that Jesus offers us, right? He says it's unique from the peace of the world. Um, and we all go through troubling times. And so how do we actually rest in this peace and um, not just know it and believe it intellectually, but experience it and live it, okay? And that's gonna be kind of the, the gist of it. Um, I time myself twice. I think I can do it. Um, did two dry run-throughs with my door closed. Um, and so, <laughs> so uh, before we dig in, guys, and we get into the nitty-gritty, um, I'll say, uh, that um, please don't just believe me because I'm up here 
and I have a microphone. Um, search the scriptures, let them always have the final say. Uh, with this message, it's more of an overview because there's just so much here. So in particular with this dig in, um, there, there's a lot. Uh, and it's each one of these topics is very deep. This could be a five week series or a book or something and I'm just gonna do an overview, okay? So um, let's begin. The way God created things was good, and it was shalom. So um, uh, keep up if you can. I'm going to fly through stuff, but so you're, you're doing great. <laughs> uh, so Genesis 1:31 it says that God saw all that He had made, and behold, it was very good. Uh, we know that in uh, Genesis 2, God placed Adam in a beautiful garden that He had made for him. Um, the trees were beautiful. They were good for food, except for that one, right? But like the, the rest of the garden, he had full access to. Uh, the animals were brought to him. Uh, he gave Adam um, charge over all the animals. He created him with a helper comparable out of his rib. Um, and Adam and Eve are the masterpiece of God's creation. Um, we are unique, folks. We're not just apes. We're not just animals. We are part of creation, we are created things, but we are also set apart from creation because we alone are uniquely made in the image of God. No other created thing uh, has that distinction, okay? Um, so, you know, I picture the Edenic state or the Garden of Eden, you know, after Adam and Eve sinned, God was walking in the cool of garden looking for them, but I picture before the sin, I picture, you know, uh, God walking through the garden that he had made for Adam and Eve to enjoy um, with them. You know, there's no shame. There's no um, intimidation. There's just love, probably some healthy fear because God is obviously mighty and glorious, but there's just love and intimacy there. They don't just drop dead because of how glorious God is uh, and because they're sinful. They're created good, able to be in his presence, right? That's something that man uh, cannot do again until the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we'll get to that later. But they're fully in the presence of God without shame, uh, created good. The shalom uh, was there and uh, as God had made all things good. Between human to human, the only example we get before sin enters the world is Adam and Eve, right? Because they sinned. So um, we don't have like this vast history of like what you know, mankind would look like without sin, but the picture of it is the marriage of Adam and Eve, right? So Genesis 2.18 says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper who is just right for him or a helper comparable. At last, the man exclaimed. Now in Genesis 2, I think it, at least the way I read it, Eve was created the same day as Adam. Um, maybe there's some debate there, but he says, at last, he exclaimed. So it was like, man, you weren't waiting very long. Like, like he, you know, he, he was like really, you know, excited to see her. And it seems like he got made and then he named the animals and then right then he fell asleep and she was made. And he's like, at last. Um, I was like, wow, not a lot of patience, but okay. Uh, so um, he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one I think that part right there is key for the shalom between husband and wife, right? That intimacy there, there's no shame. It says they were naked and felt no shame. Um, there's nothing to hide. They're not trying to put their best face forward. There they are, all of themselves exposed, 
not just physically, but you know, emotionally and mentally, and there's just total intimacy between the two of them. It's a beautiful picture of um, you know, the shalom between humans, okay? All righty, uh, bet the, between man and themselves, or a person and themselves now, um, there's not a lot of specific verses in Genesis about this, but we know that they were at peace with themselves, right? Eve with herself and Adam with his self before the fall, because they were created good. You know, it's kind of like enough said. Um, we know there was no shame in their nakedness. We know that David would later write in Psalm 139 that um, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, and so there was, you know, a uh, sense of shalom between a person and themselves. They didn't have the guilt. They didn't have a hole they were trying to fill because the person, the only you know, being that can fill that hole, they had full access to. So they were complete in the garden. Um, it's interesting how even in spite of sin in a fallen world and us being born into sin, that the design of God still shows through that. Um, my son was born eight days ago, as you guys recently heard. Um, and holding him in the hospital, I was just like, wow, like you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are knit in, in you know, your mother's womb. Like, I didn't do that. I mean, I had a hand in it, you know, my wife did too. We, like, we were involved, obviously, right? Um, but uh, I didn't, you know, knit my son. He wasn't fearfully and wonderfully made by me. I didn't know what he'd look like, you know, until he came out, you know? So um, there is this amazing, you know, awe when you're holding a child, especially a newborn, and you just realize like, Wow. And my wife being a nurse, I have heard every horror story under the sun of what can happen in pregnancy and, you know, labor and delivery and um, afterward. And every child is truly a miracle, right? The fact that most babies are born healthy, the fact that most mothers um, heal well and, and recuperate after delivery is like a shock when you fully learn. If you don't know, don't look it up. Um, it's better to just, you know, ignorance is bliss, but, you know, my wife being a NICU nurse, it's really scary. And it's amazing to see the design of God, the way he intended things to be, uh, go through that. The last relationship that was created good is between man and nature. Uh, Genesis 1.26 says, um, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals over all the creatures that move and along the ground. In 28, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God saw all that he had made, this is in verse 31, and it was very good. Later in Genesis 2, Verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and to keep it. Right? So, guys, the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. It's not ours. We, we're not the owners of the earth. Uh, God is. Right? The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. But God gives us this planet. I, I believe that even though the earth belongs to the Lord, he created it for us and for us to use. And you see these examples of God specifically with intention, put us over the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and over all the earth to, you, to use it, subdue it, use it responsibly. Um, and then he, this idea of cultivating and keeping it from the garden. Uh, we were created into shalom with these resources we have around us, right? There was a peace. Okay.
Um, here's the bummer part, sin, that we all have to deal with. Okay, so let's talk about how these four relationships are broken. Um, between God and man, when sin enters the world through the fall of Adam and Eve, uh, every generation after that is born into sin. Genesis 8.17 says, the intention of a man's heart is evil from his youth. Later, Paul would write in Ephesians that we are by nature children of wrath. And then Solomon would write in Proverbs that foolishness or folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Uh, wickedness doesn't need to be taught, folks. Good behavior does. Righteous behavior needs to be taught. If you want to, your children to be wicked, just don't teach them anything. Right? Don't, just don't give them moral lessons. Don't correct them when they're wrong. Don't, don't, uh, you know, don't engage with them, and, and they'll become wicked. That, that comes natural to us. Wickedness is natural. Um, it, it, you know, it, that doesn't have to be taught. You don't have to model wickedness. Now, parents that do model wickedness, those kids can be even more rotten, but um, you know, left to their own devices, children will just you know, uh, lean towards that. Humans will be as wicked as we allow them to be. They will. Uh, you know, I don't want to pick on my students, um, but just as something that's relevant to me, because I'm a middle school teacher, my students are never better behaved with a sub, with a substitute teacher, never, right? I come back and I get their notes and it's like, this kid slapped this kid upside the head, this kid said, you know, cussed out the teacher, this kid went to the bathroom, disappeared for 40 minutes, and I, you know, I get back and I'm like, what were you thinking? And I don't know, right? But like, they, uh, stuff they would never pull if I was not, out, right? If I was there, um, it's never like, you know, the, the reasoning of a human is never like, you know what? We can get away with more stuff right now. So why don't we be even better behaved? It's always like push the limit, push the limit. That's just natural, right? We, um, wickedness comes natural to us. Um, if we look at Psalm, uh, David writes in Psalm 14, the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understands, any who seek God, all have turned away, all have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Later, Paul writes in Romans to the church in Rome, he says, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, there is no one who seeks God, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace, keyword, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Later in Romans, Paul would say, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Thank you, Jesus. We're, it's the, the, we're, there's no hope without him, folks. There, there's no hope. We're, we're destined to ruin. We're self-destructive by nature. Um, relationships between, between humans now, man to man. It doesn't take long uh, for humans to sin against one another. In one generation from the, after the original sin, you have the first murder brother killing brother, right? Adam and Eve weren't born exactly, they were made, so they were made good. They commit the very first sin, I'm sure they committed more after that, but the very first sin, one generation, one of their children kills the other one. There's no slow escalation there. 
it's very quick, right, uh, to murder. Uh, Mark chapter 7 says, from within, out of the hearts of the people come evil thoughts, acts of sexual immorality, thefts, murders, acts of adultery, deeds of greed, wickedness, deceit, indecent behavior, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the person. When you read that passage, it sounds like our society today. Think about the ways that humans hurt each other, right? The list is a long one. Murder, assault, rape, abuse, neglect, war, theft, kidnapping, trafficking, slavery, blackmail, lying, and I could go on. This brokenness between us applies, as I said earlier, between individuals, but can also be group of a group of people against another group of people or a nation against another nation or an ideology against another ideology. The shalom is broken, and the root of that evil is the human heart. As it says in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And we hurt each other unintentionally, but also deliberately. Between a person and themselves, the effects of sin, either someone's sin or just being born into a fallen world, can be some of the following examples. Anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, eating disorders, self-harm, suicide, drug abuse, alcoholism, sexual sin, gender dysphoria, and that list goes on and on. We're not at peace with ourselves without Jesus. There's a hole that we um, are seeking to fill. I had a pastor once talk about sin, um, and the way he used to describe it is, uh, God made us very intentionally, and he gave us certain appetites. Excuse me, And these appetites are by nature not wicked. They're good. And we have like the basic appetites like you know, food, water, shelter. But there's also appetites for companionship, for sex, for love, for um, importance, right? for worth, to be needed. These are, these are appetites that are not wicked. But God creates, along with those appetites, a menu for us to order off of that glorifies him and blesses us. And sin is just ordering off of that menu. It's saying, no, thank you. I want to fill that appetite my way. I don't want to do it your way. And that's sin in a nutshell. Um, and if you look at the world around you, not just the way we harm each other, but the way we self-harm, um, it's very apparent that that's the case. Uh, with man to nature and how that's broken, uh, I'm not going to get into climate change tonight, folks. Sorry if that bums you out. Uh, I was preparing this part, and I, I could hear the voices of, like, I can't believe he didn't talk about climate change. Um, and, like, you know, we need to stop eating beef. Um, and I could hear another voice saying, like, it's all a hoax. It's all propaganda. So I'm not going there, folks. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about what I think are biblical principles that the Christian should have and a biblical attitude that the Christian should have towards creation. Um, I'm not going to get into specific political or environmental issues and the way you should feel about those and vote, um, partly because it's not my area of expertise. I'll, I'll admit I'm not super well read on it, so I'm not going to attempt to take a hard stance on an issue of today. Um, but I do think there are some important principles that we should um, consider as Christians for the world around us. So we know that Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Uh, I said earlier, I believe that 
Um, the, the earth is the Lord's. I believe that's true, right? But also that he made it for us to enjoy and to use and to, to rule over and to steward over these resources and this creation. Um, but that's, that uh, relationship is broken when sin enters the world. Here's a couple examples from the Bible, and then we'll talk about a couple examples just from observation of the world. So Genesis 3.17 Speaking to Adam after his sin, God says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Later in Genesis 9, speaking to Noah after the flood, God says, The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every animal of the earth and on every bird of the sky, on everything that crawls on the ground, and on all fish of the sea. They are handed over to you. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. Uh, I've given everything to you as I gave the green plant. This, this fear of humans is very different than the picture I'm going to show you guys in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, when we observe the world around us throughout human history and also now, you know, we can see pollution of our oceans, our waterways, our skies, our beaches. We have rivers and lakes where you can't eat the fish because of contamination from mining. Um, whereas cities like Beijing, I'll call them out, uh, where the air pollution is so bad that children have a, you know, astronomical amount of respiratory illnesses because they're just breathing that stuff all day and their whole lives. Life expectancy is lower because of all the stuff they're breathing. There's villages with high quantities of cancer due to rivers that are polluted, where factories are just dumping things in the river, goes downstream, they're bathing in it, growing their crops with it, getting cancer with it. Um, there's a lot of examples of just not being good stewards of the planet, right? Um, and I think ultimately, being a good steward is about um, being a good neighbor, right? The Lord says to love your neighbor. And uh, if we have a short-sighted view of this world and these, you know, these resources, um, you know, I don't want to live a, leave a, a, you know, pardon my language, but a crappy place for my kids. Like, I don't want them to, you know, like, uh, experience like pollution and all that. I want a, I want a nice place for my children. Um, and so I want to, I want to take care of God's earth as the good steward that he calls me to be. Right. And I'll just leave it at that. Um, not again, not to throw my kids under the bus again, not my own children, my students. Uh, there's just trash everywhere on campus. I don't know where it comes from. It's like it grows out of the ground. It's just, there's just, and I've seen other places, you know, you drive around freeways and stuff, like, you know, I've, I've been to, traveled the world pretty extensively. You see places where there's just trash everywhere. And it's like, how did we get this callous regard for this beautiful place that the Lord has blessed us with? That being said, Genesis 8 says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day shall not cease. Amen. So I don't think you need to be afraid that the whole planet is going to die in 12 years, as some would have you believe. Uh, but I also don't think we should just be callous and, you know, trash this place because it's like, well, it's all going to burn one day anyways. Right? Like the one slur in the Lorax. Deep reference. All right. Um, next, we move into the hopeful period. Christ is here. Right? This is about Christmas. Uh, Jesus is born through his death and resurrection. We have hope, the shalom, the peace between these four relationships begins this process of mending um, and restoration, right? So between God and man, uh, when we 
admit that we are sinners in need of a Savior, when we accept Jesus as that Savior, um, and we're covered by his blood, we make him our Lord, the Holy Spirit indwells us, things start to change, and for the better. Second Corinthians says that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled, reconciled himself through Christ. We are not just sinners saved by grace. We are entirely new creations made by God. Uh, in Romans 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace, or shalom, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And Ephesians says, And he came and preached peace, or shalom, to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles there. For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. When Christ defeats sin and death and the curse, through him we have peace and the shalom between God and man is restored and the blood of Jesus makes us righteous before him. Uh, the restoration of shalom between person to person after Jesus or through Jesus um, we start to focus less on ourselves when we come to Christ, and we start to realize how much Jesus wants us to love our neighbor. Uh, there are so many verses. I'm probably not going to share all, even all the ones that I pulled up because there's just so many about looking outward and not inward, right? So I'll share a few, though. Um, Mark uh, 12 says, Lord, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We know that. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. John 13, says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Uh, Galatians 5, 4, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. 1 Corinthians 1.24, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. 1 Thessalonians says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up. And 1 Peter says, finally all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. So as we come to Jesus, there's this focus outward um, and this, this emphasis on loving one another, meeting one another's needs, putting the needs of others before your own. And I think it's okay to have like a priority, like circle. Um, I think you should care for your family first and foremost and, 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 and maintain that peace and love in your, in your family. Love your family. Then you can extend that to your church family and friends. And then I think you can extend that to your community at large. And then finally, you have to extend that to your enemies, right? So we are to love all people. And I think, I think that that kind of hierarchy or those kind of uh, circles, zones, I think that's healthy, I think that's okay. Um, you know, you shouldn't be loving your enemy and hating your children. Um, so I think it should go in that order, but, I, but ultimately we're to love all people. Between a person and themselves, the peace that Jesus brings, um, John 16 uh, says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Philippians 4 says, the Lord is at hand, do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests may be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Folks, we can have peace with ourselves because the one who is worthy, the only one who is worthy, Christ Jesus, is at peace with us. Right? We were made worthy through his blood. Uh, and if he can find us worthy and we can be worthy before the Father, we can find ourselves worthy because we are made worthy through Jesus. Uh, you are so worthy um, through the blood of Christ that the Spirit of God himself lives inside of you. That can't happen if you're not worthy. right? There's no way that God would take up residency in your wicked heart unless the blood of Jesus was sufficient enough to cover all your sins and make you stainless, spotless, worthy, holy in the eyes of God. Um, otherwise, you just die, right? There's no way the Spirit of God could indwell you. So um, we can have self-worth because we get our worth not from the world. We get our worth from Christ, who is the only one who is worthy. Uh, and then the restoration of shalom between man and nature. We talked about this um, I think, right, my opinion that loving, uh, loving your neighbor is part of being a good steward of the resources we have here on earth. Okay, now here comes the super cool part. This is the fully realized shalom, right? So like now this is like post-second coming of Jesus. So Jesus comes, the, um, he, he, uh, he lives, his ministry, his, his death, his resurrection. The shalom of these four relationships begins to be restored. Uh, we see glimpses of that on earth. We see the restoration happening. The process is starting. And there will come a day where it's fully realized. And the peace is completely reestablished. Um, similar to Eden, uh, I, I believe, right? Because everything was created good. And it will be good once again. So between man and God, when Christ comes back uh, and he judges evil, and he defeats Satan, and, and he's already defeated death, but death is thrown into the lake of fire, and the righteous are lifted up. Um, we are going to be in this eternal state of the new heavens and the new earth, and it's going to be awesome. So Revelation chapter 21 says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed, had passed away, excuse me, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, Jesus, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Man, I long to go home. I love my life. There's hardships and struggles and victories as well. It's a rich existence. But I can't even imagine. Like, I, I want to I go home. I want to be with the Lord. I want to have that shalom where sin isn't even remembered
sorry if I get emotional, uh, I try to do what Max does, which he just kind of goes, nope. And then he waits till it passes. Uh, Char used to just preach through the tears, but his, it was amazing because his voice would never quiver. His voice was like strong, but it's like pouring. Um, when he married us, it was like that. And so, yeah, I, I, I can't do it, guys, because if I try to talk through crying, oh my gosh, it's ugly. So, anyway, um, between man to man, uh, this is awesome. Check this out. This is Isaiah uh, chapter 2. In the last days, many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore. To live in a world where weapons just don't exist because they don't need to. Amazing, right? Um, the peace between nations, the fact that swords will be destroyed and turned into farming tools, spears will be destroyed and turned into fishing tools. Pretty cool, pretty cool. Um, but for ourselves, uh, we talked about the peace that Christ gives us and fills that hole. We are made worthy because of him. But I'll share with you guys in the new heavens and the new earth, we get new bodies. I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm still a fairly young man, but at 41, things are not working as well as they did at 31. Um, so I long for a body with a fast metabolism and better knees. Um, it's going to be good. Check this out. This is from 1 Corinthians. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. He says, What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The relationship between man and nature. This is speaking of the eternal kingdom of God. This is from Isaiah chapter 11. It says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fattened steer will be together. Right? These are relationships that are impossible today. And the little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the wean child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As a, as a final picture of what this will be like, guys, I, I think about walking with Jesus incarnate to hear his voice 
his actual audible voice and to recognize that I know that voice. That it's familiar to me. Um, <clears throat> obviously, I haven't heard him speak audibly through vocal cords. Um, but one day when I will, to realize it's the same voice I've heard all these years. I long for that. <clears throat> Coconut water. Uh, it's not that cool, it's Kirkland, so I'm not that hip. It's Costco coconut water. Uh, I think about um, seeing my grandfather again, both of us young, strong, vibrant, you know, him not no longer the old man and me the young man, both of us young. to thank him for faithfully praying for me and my family all those years <clears throat> and to prayerfully and uh, by the grace of God introduce him to my grandchildren. I think about going through the new heavens, the new earth in wonder and awe while I'm riding on the back of Ivan Drago, which is the name of my future pet polar bear. Uh, I don't know if animals will talk in the future, but if it, they do, I picture a polar bear with a Russian accent and named, named Ivan Drago. Am I the only one that pictures future pets? I don't know. Um, that's saying a lot, the fact that it's a bear, because if you guys... Uh, went camping with us and you've heard the tales of the Crowley Sites bear encounter, you will know that currently on this side of eternity, uh, the Shapinsky family, the San Pietro family, uh, Ethan and Brianna Jackson's family, and David Roll are not currently in shalom with the bear kind. <laughs> there is not peace. Um, but there will come a day when we few will be at peace and in shalom with all of nature, even, even hungry black bears. Uh, guys, uh, Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's gone to prepare a place for us. Um, it says in John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He uses marriage language. He says, my Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so... But I've told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. He's using the language of the bridegroom, right? In Hebrew culture, a uh, man and a woman would become engaged. And the man would go away to his father's home and build onto it and prepare a place for his bride. And then after that time had passed, he would go, they would be married, and he would bring her 
back to the place he had prepared. And that's what Jesus is doing for us right now in heaven. He's preparing a place for us. And that place is going to be wicked awesome. Amen. Um, okay, so I'll go kind of quickly here, but I felt led to just share with you guys some tools for how to live in the peace of God and, and uh, rest in it and experience it. And this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a list that um, uh, it's, it's from based on my experiences. These are things that have helped me to experience the peace of God. And before I get in that list, uh, I want to remind us of what Jesus said. It was one of the verses at the beginning. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world does do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How is this peace of Jesus different from the peace of the world? And really, the peace of the world is temporary. It's based on our situation and our surroundings. When things are going good, we're at peace. But even Jesus himself said trouble will come right? Um, the peace of Jesus is not conditional or situational. It's a peace that endures all things, good times and bad, health issues, financial struggles, relationship issues, war and violence and fear. It's a peace that endures. It's a peace that we have in spite of things not going well. Uh, I was thinking about what causes us to not be in peace, and I, I think most of the time it's fear. Fear of losing something. Fear of um, just fear in all its forms can cause us to not have peace. And um, the most common instruction in the Bible, the thing that uh, the Lord instructs us to do or commands us to do more than any other thing is to not fear. Sometimes it says fear not, sometimes it says do not be afraid, but some form of don't be afraid uh, appears in the Bible numerous, numerous, numerous times. I couldn't find a definitive number, maybe somebody knows. The whole 365 thing isn't true, but um, a lot of times. And uh, the reason why Jesus tells us to not fear is not because the things we're afraid of aren't scary. They are. Cancer is scary. Losing your job and not being able to provide for your family is scary. Other health issues are scary. Warfare is scary. You know, praise the Lord, we haven't been you know, experiencing that here in the States, but the global church certainly experiences war and danger. Those things are legitimately scary. Jesus doesn't say do not fear because the things you're afraid of aren't even scary. Right? Bears aren't scary. Cancer isn't scary. These things are scary. He says, do not fear. Why? Because I am with you. That's his reasoning. He's going to bear those burdens with us. He's going to walk beside us, and we can have the peace of the Lord through those things and, and endure those things. So here's the list. First off, number one, know who Jesus is. Jesus is not just our king as Christians. He is the king. He is the king. Uh, he is ruling and reigning. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. Uh, and he's on the throne. Not everybody has accepted that yet, but there will come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Not only is he king, he is good. There is none more gooder. There is nothing created that is more gooder than Jesus. He is the definition of good. So this person that we have as our Lord, as our God, as our king, is truly reigning. He's not a king. He is the king over all, with all authority, and he's good. Remember that. Meditate on that. Declare that truth to your children. The second little tool is related to the first. That's be in the word. That seems kind of like a duh, but it's, it's true. When you're reading the word, folks, and you are looking at the story of God and man, right, of, of, of this constant pursuit after us by the Lord, this redemption of us, it helps you, it encourages you to run the race, to hang in there, to be at peace, because we see how hard God fights for us. So be in the word. Next, be in prayer. It also seems kind of like, well, duh, but it's important. Pray without ceasing. Speak to the Lord. He delights in our prayers. And let him speak to you. Recently, at men's group, we shared, each of us kind of shared, like, how does the Lord speak to us? Because we say that a lot, right? And it was such a blessing to have that conversation. And it was, <laughs> the, the predominant answer was peace a feeling of his peace over a situation was how the Lord spoke to us. There was other things, you know, it was uh, a strong impression uh, when you're reading the word or um, the wise counsel of a Christian friend uh, or through prayer. Um, but most of us said, yeah, it's, it's just when you have something, you have a decision to make or there's a situation that needs your attention, you get this overwhelming sense of peace and you know it can only be the Lord speaking to you. The fourth thing is remember what God has done for you previously. Uh, years ago, Max gave a sermon, and it's, it's one of the most impactful uh, it's one of the most impactful sermons I've ever heard. Thanks, buddy. And it was about remembering what the Lord has done, right? You talked about the Ebenezer, the stone of remembrance, and write, write it down. Keep a record of how the Lord has been there for you because we, we're so easy to forget. I, think, I don't think I'm alone in that. I certainly am. I'm so easy to forget things that the Lord did for me in my 20s or my 30s or my teens. I just forget because I'm not meditating on them. I'm not remembering them. Write them down. Keep a record Share it with your family. Share it with your children. Um, it's a form of encouragement. You, you realize, oh, the Lord is not going to let me down. Look, he's been there for me this whole time. And then the fifth thing is very closely related to the first or the fourth. It's just after you look at your own testimonies and answered prayers, turn around and share those with your family your family in Christ. That's what we as a church are trying to do right now. We've, we've, uh, you guys have probably seen a big emphasis on testimonies of praise and prayer, um, or answered prayers, I should say. It's so encouraging. It's so encouraging when, if you don't feel like the Lord is hearing you, 
to talk to other people and see what the Lord is doing in their lives. It, it encourages you to stay in the fight. You're like, oh, that's right. Cool. He's moving. He's on the move. Like he's doing stuff. Um, I think it's also a good way to combat just like latency. Is that the right word? No, that means late. What word am I looking for? Complete, yeah, or like laziness, lack of, yeah, lack of passion. Yeah, sorry, lethargy. We can, we can, we can duke that one out on the message boards later. But um, it's a good way to combat kind of like armchair Christianity. Let's say it that way, okay? Uh, when you hear the testimonies of what God is doing in the lives of your brothers and sisters, it's motivating for you to get in there. Right? It's like, yeah, excited to see what the Lord's doing. I want to be a part of that. Right? Um, and folks, if we don't do these things, if we're not in fellowship, if we're not sharing testimonies, if we're not in prayer, if we're not in the word, if we're forgetting who Jesus is, we're leaving the door open for attacks from Satan. And he's going to plant those seeds of doubt and cause us to uh, lose trust, lose faith in God. Um, surround yourself in fellowship, you know, meditate on the word, remember who God is, all these tools. Uh, it's a defense against the attacks of the enemy also. I'll leave us with one verse uh, to close, just to encourage you guys. This is out of Isaiah, and then we'll pray. Uh, Isaiah 26, speaking of the Lord, Isaiah says, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much that you came, that you lived, you died, you rose again, you saved us, you redeemed us. We thank you that you are the Prince of Peace, that uh, just your essence, the, the very nature of who you are is associated with peace, Lord God. And we pray that we are able to put on this peace, to rest in it, to experience it, not as the world promises peace or not by the world's terms, but by yours, an enduring peace that lasts. And Lord, as we just return to a time of worship, I pray that we just open our hearts in song, lift our voices to you, with abandon and just praise you because you are worthy and you are good and you are king. We love you so much, Lord. Bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen.